This is the Bigger Pockets Podcast Show 712. Uh, where we see more supply coming in is people that have existing homes, uh, maybe a second home, maybe a, their primary residence. Uh, they're not looking to use that home in the same way. Maybe they're moving. Uh, and uh, they don't want to sell. They've got that 3% interest rate that and is very attractive to keep. Uh, so now they're looking to rent it out, uh, find another use. And we've seen actually a big uptick in, in recent months from people uh, just looking to find other uses for for their homes. And, and a lot of that come, is coming into the short terminal sector. I hope I made David Green proud. Today, I am interviewing Jamie Lane, the Vice President of Research for AirDNA, with my good friend and who I have dubbed my Airbnb bestie, Tony Robinson. How you doing, man? Dude, I'm I'm pumped, man. This is like our first official podcast episode together. It feels like way overdue. So tis tis to the, the producers for waiting so long to get this together, man. I know, man. Come on. Come on, Eric. What are you doing? I think honestly what I was really proud of is we didn't, you know, considering we don't share the mic all that often, we didn't really interrupt each other that much. And I think that's a win. Dude, we, we played nice as like two kids in the sandbox and they, they just get along from the jump, man. <laughs> but dude, that's like, that's like me and you from the beginning, right? I feel like the first time we met, which was actually for those of you, it's, this person might be listening. The first time me and Rob met in person, we had lunch at this place called the Local Goat in mm-hmm. Pigeon Forge. Mm-hmm. And I remember when I walked out, someone messaged me. and was like, oh my God, I just saw you sitting with Rob Bill, but I was too nervous to go talk to you guys. So if that person is listening, next time you see us, just please say something, say hello. You know, what's really crazy about that particular interview instance is I was still working a job. I still had a nine to five at that at that point. Yeah. And I was sitting with you and your wife, Sarah, and y'all were like, why do you still have a job, bro? And I was like, I don't know. I'm scared of losing my health care. <laughs> yeah. And I had just lost my job, I think like a month before we sat down because I, I lost it right before Christmas. So dude, how things have changed over the last I couple know. of years, right? So crazy, man. Do you have any uh, any purchases coming up, by the way, in the, in the Airbnb front as we get into today's episode that talks all about the short term rental market? Dude, I do. And it's actually kind of a crazy story. So we have a property that was supposed to close um, this week but closing got delayed because the appraisal came back and uh, this was a new construction that we bought and uh, the appraisal came back and turns out we're missing a bedroom. Oh, <laughs> so it was supposed it was supposed to be a four bedroom property. The appraiser went out and said, hey, there's only three bedrooms here. Um, <laughs> wow. So luckily the floor plan is right. But instead of making it a bedroom, they just made it like a like a loft. So now they've got to go back and finish building the house that we bought from them. So hmm. that's not that bad. It's not terrible, but we're, we're going to literally we're going to close like, I don't know, on, on the 28th. So we got to fight to get our first guest in between the 29th and the 31st that way we can get our tax benefits and all that good stuff so oh yeah first time this ever happened to me before is uh buying the wrong house so yeah man i that's they just have to frame up a wall it'll be all right honestly i market lofts as a separate bedroom on airbnb anyway so if you even if you didn't do that you'd probably be fine but if you paid for it then it's time to get litigious um (laughs) (laughs) so i i actually am closing i hope on the 29th uh, on a property in galveston and it was a sub two deal it's like a $843,000 new construction, six bedroom, three bath in Crystal Beach, all in, fully furnished, all in, turnkey. It's ready. It's set up. $53,000. No way, dude. How? So wait, we, we got to do a whole nother episode on that. Like, just give, give me the give me the 30 second. How did you find this, this, this sub two deal? Well, it found me. Someone sent me a, a 
someone sent it to me on on Instagram. They're like, "Hey man, uh, I'm a wholesaler. The the seller wants to sell seller finance. Do you want it? He'll finance like two hundred thousand dollars, and then you'll take over the existing loan. So I'm taking over a loan of six hundred and seventy eight thousand dollars at like six percent. Not not ideal, but the other like two hundred thousand dollars, or no, the other hundred and fifty thousand, they are they are seller financing at two percent interest only for the next ten years." It's crazy. Dude, it's what a good crazy. deal, man. I'm I'm happy for you, man. I'm I'm happy for you, but I'm also going to be as equally pissed if that dude also <laughs> messaged me and I just didn't see that message. He might be in there. <laughs> Ryan Emerson. Let us dude, know. I gotta I gotta look it up. Yeah. <laughs> well, what are we talking about today, man? Dude, we, we got Jamie Lane, VP of research for Air DNA, and this guy is like an encyclopedia of short-term rental data and information. And honestly, probably one of the most, my, like my most favorite conversations I've had about short-term rentals in quite a while. But the reason we brought Jamie on and, and what we spend the majority of the episode talking about is, is all this fear around the Airbnb bust, as it's called, yeah. is it legitimate? Should we be concerned? And Jamie has some data to kind of support what his position is. Yeah, you know, I was really impressed because I kept thinking of all these questions that I was like, well, what about this? And then he was like, oh, yeah, the answer to that is this. <laughs> and I'm like, what about this? And then he's like, yeah, the answer is this. So I was like, that was pretty good. Um, yeah. we, we dive into other things like how to maintain revenue goals in 2023. And more importantly, how you can stay one step ahead of your competition in an ever-changing market. So we really do get into it. Uh, And I'm really excited for people that are like reading all the headlines and getting all nervous and all scared about it. I think today's episode will hopefully make you feel a little bit better. And before we get into today's episode, we're going to do a quick tip brought to you by Tony Robinson of the Real Estate Rookie Podcast. What's better than low money down? No money down. Now through rent to retirement, you can buy a brand new construction turnkey rental property for no money down. Wait, hold on. This can't be right. I need to double check with Zach, rental retirement CEO. Oh, hey, Rob. Zach, how the heck are you selling turnkey rental properties for $0 down? <laughs> it's not that complicated, Rob. Rent to retirement has new construction properties up to $20,000 below retail prices. We also have investor loans with rates as low as 3.99% and down payment options as low as 5% or sometimes even zero money down. You get all the cash flow, appreciation, and equity for as little as zero money down. That's an infinite return. Oh, wait, wait. Let me get on this before we tell it to the whole Bigger Pockets audience. Just head to renttoretirement.com. That's renttoretirement.com or text REI to 33777. That's REI to 33777 to learn more about how you can get started investing with no money down today. Get your next new construction property at a steep discount or invest with no money down. Head to rentoretirement.com today. You might think you want real estate, but that's not true. What you really want is passive income. With new investors struggling to find deals or get enough money to buy them and veteran landlords tired of the constant tenant phone calls, is there a better alternative? Actually, there is. Short notes from Connect Invest. Connect Invest is an online investing platform that allows you to easily participate in passive real estate investing, and all you need is $500 to start. Short Notes collectively funds a diversified portfolio of commercial and residential real estate projects across acquisition, construction, and development phases. You'll earn a fixed monthly income without the hassle of owning or managing real estate. Head to connectinvest.com BP to create your account. Fund your digital wallet with at least $500. Select from six, 12, and 24-month short notes with annualized return rates up to 
Then sit back and let your monthly returns roll in. Join today by visiting connectinvest.com slash VP. Connectinvest.com slash VP. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that I turned one of my first homes into an Airbnb? It's true. And it even helped me get the extra income I needed to launch my real estate career. So if you want to try your hand at making even more income with your property, Airbnb is the place to be. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. <laughs> All right. So today's quick tip, and I thank you for the honor of letting me do the quick tip. Uh, today's quick tip is to go to biggerpockets.com slash tools. And under the section that says other calculators, there's a section that allows you to analyze properties as short-term rental. So it's an Airbnb property calculator, which ties in perfectly with everything we've been talking about today. And that calculator is actually powered by AirDNA. So you get to hear all the data that goes into it. Then once you finish the episode, jump into the calculator, start analyzing some deals and find the one that makes the most sense. Uh, guys, use this tool. It's literally the rentalizer tool and you can use it as many times as you want over at BiggerPocket. So with that, let's get into today's episode. Today, we are interviewing Jamie Lane, Vice President of Research for AirDNA. Jamie has a decade of experience as an economist, which actually means we have something in common because I've read the magazine, The Economist. So we could we could swap some ideas there. And uh, Jamie was a senior economist at CBRE, where his team analysis helped prominent hotel and lodging businesses. He's got two kids. And a fun fact about Jamie, he plays in a dart league. Jamie Lane, welcome to the Bigger Pockets podcast. How are you doing today, man? I'm doing great. Uh, thanks for having me. Uh, very excited to dive into the short-term rental market. Yeah, I'm excited, man. So I think uh, today's episode, we, we really want to kind of gauge what's happening in the market, right? And I think my first question, just diving right into this is, can you give us the general pulse for short-term rentals in 2023? Can you help us just cut through a lot of the stuff that we've been seeing in headlines and articles all over the internet? Yeah. And overall, we expect demand for short-term rentals. So the number of people staying in units on a given night uh, to continue to grow, uh, continue to hit records. Uh, we've seen no weakness in demand, uh, and and overall, and the health of the industry is strong. Uh, because of that health, we've seen a lot of new units come online, uh, and a general trend has been is and his occupancy has been coming down. Uh, so there is some some weakness on the average bookings per per listing. So the average host is getting a bit fewer list, uh, fewer bookings they were, than they were getting in 2021, uh, which was really the peak of the industry. Uh, and and uh, so we do expect some weakness. Um, that's going to play out in different markets more than others, uh, primarily based on, on where supply growth has been the strongest. Uh, but overall, it's an it's a great time to be in and in hosting in the short-term rental industry. Yeah, Jamie. So you know, there's there's this big idea around the Airbnb bust that Airbnbs are no longer profitable. Short-term rentals are no longer profitable as an investment vehicle, and I think it's because everyone's looking at 2021, where so many hosts got into this space as the baseline, not understanding the, the historical data pre-pandemic. So just like, what are your thoughts on that? Like, do you think that this is still a profitable asset class? Is 2021 the only year that this made sense? Like, should we continue to buy moving forward? What's the data saying? And the data saying, and yes, 2021 was a, a banner year. Uh, occupancy for the industry reached over 60%. Uh, a typical year pre-COVID, like 2018, 20, 2019, it was 53%. And to this day, we're still running well over 55%. And we expect 
the industry to be there going forward. So we are not going to get down to 2018, 2019 levels um, as far out as we forecast. Uh, but if you underwrote expecting 2021 levels of occupancy uh, forever out into the future or even that growing further, like you're probably going to be disappointed going forward. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, it's it's tough because a lot of people did start in 2021. And in real estate in general, there are times when you feel like a genius and there are times where you feel like you're dumb, right? Like no, it, it just depends on how much time you're in a market, right? So everyone that got into 2021, we, you know, a lot of houses that we purchased were like, oh my God, we're so smart. We're making all these returns. But if you look at it, you know, I've been doing Airbnb now for probably the last like five, six years. And it's definitely like, you know, some years are better than others. Obviously, 2020, 2021 were better. But 2022 is really, to me, just a very normalized version of what I was seeing in 2018, 2019. Uh, what was it like for you, Tony? I mean, I know you've kind of had yours for a couple years now, too. Did you come in right at the peak or did you have a little bit of the, the bookings come in pre-peak? We, we came in right at COVID, right? So like there was all this pent up demand. So as soon as we took our listings live, like everyone was just like, you know, fighting to get inside of our, our listing. So I think we we came in during that banner year. However, I, I think we knew going into it that this w wasn't normal, right? And, and most of our properties outperformed our projections because we were using 2019 data when we projected what 2020 was going to look like. So I think we had a, a good sense. Now, J Jamie, I guess one, one follow-up question to that, right? When you, when you look at like across the map, are you seeing maybe some markets getting hit harder than others or some markets that are maybe, a, a, you know, weathering the storm a little bit better? How is that being dispersed uh, across the country? Yeah, it really varies uh, throughout the country. Uh, uh, sort of mountain coastal destination markets uh, have seen really strong growth in supply in the, in the past year. Uh, urban areas, sort of the, some of the largest cities, uh, we have actually, that's where we saw the most supply come out, um, as people and demand wasn't there. People took their short-term rentals and they converted them to long-term. I think that was a lot of people's sort of backup plan during the pandemic. Uh, and it, it played out, uh, and supply in, in urban areas is still 20%, uh, below 2019 levels. Uh, so supply hasn't come back that in those areas and demand is, is just about there. Occupancies are back. So there's, there's still some great opportunities in some of these, these urban cities. Uh, and then the big surprise over the past really three years has been all the growth we've seen in sort of small city or uh, rural areas where there's essentially double the supply now than there was pre-pandemic. Uh, and it still continues to be some of the fastest growing areas of the country uh, and where uh, and in the most part demands keeping up with, with that supply. Yeah. So do you feel like the, you know, because we were talking about the urban markets, right? And a lot of supply came out and then a lot of people sort of, uh, they converted it back to long-term rental, the backup plan, right? So what are your thoughts on the overall supply growth? Do you think that we're still going to see like a, a crazy amount of supply being pushed into certain markets? Or do you think now with everything going on, especially interest rates and just the economy in general, um, do you think supply will actually start going down at all? Yeah. I, we don't expect supply to drop. Uh, we do expect the rate of supply increases uh, to slow. Uh, so we're at about 25% supply growth right now. Uh, what what kind of scares me is that it hasn't peaked yet. So we look at it each month, uh, year over year, uh, and it's still 
accelerating. Uh, we do expect that to uh, start to slow in 2023. And a lot of that is is from higher interest rates. Uh, we've sort of plateaued on revenue growth. Uh, and with interest rates and at, at where there are, uh, the cost of acquiring those homes has gone up substantially. Uh, so that, in my mind, means that investment so, should slow. Uh, so uh, that piece of supply growth, we expect to come down. And, and anecdotally, I hear that from a lot of investors that they're pausing their investment activity or they're at least looking to slow that investment activity o- over the next year. Uh, uh, where we see more supply coming in is people that have existing homes, uh, maybe a second home, maybe a, their primary residence. Uh, they're not looking to use that home in the same way. Maybe they're moving uh, and uh, they don't want to sell. They've got that 3% interest rate that and is very attractive to keep. Uh, so now they're looking to rent it out, uh, find another use. And we've seen actually a big uptick in, in recent months from people uh, just looking to find other uses for for their homes. And and a lot of that comes is coming into the short terminal sector. Now, can you clarify really fast? You mentioned that supply hasn't peaked yet, so it's going up. But you said that revenue growth is hasn't really changed a lot. So does that mean that more supplies coming in, the same amount of money is being made, thus the average take home for hosts is basically less because of the amount of supply entering the market? Yeah. So uh, supply demand dynamics mean that occupancy is falling. So in November, occupancy was down about 5% year over year. Uh, but ADR growth, so the average rate that a guest is play, paying, has actually been uh, outpacing uh, uh, the de- declines in occupancy. So we've been seeing 5 6% increases in ADRs, which have outpaced the occupancy decline. So average revenue per listing is still positive. People are still making more money than they were uh, last year. Uh, so that is sort of uh, held up overall uh, revenues. Dang, that's interesting. That's like a lot of people don't even talk about like, you know, we talk about being 100% occupied and everything like that. The less occupied you are, sometimes that is better because that's less people in your property using your furniture, turning on your water, turning on your electricity. So it's kind of funny that. Yeah, exactly. Like less wear and tear overall and less utility. So it's kind of crazy. That's like the ADR has actually gone up and that still seems like a net positive for the overall short term rental industry. Yeah, and that needs to be a, a really clear thought for people looking forward. So if you're, let's say you can decrease your rate by 5% and maintain similar occupancy, and yeah, <coughs> and you're, you're only losing 5% of revenue. Uh, but at the same time, if you could maintain your rates or even increase those rates and maybe only lose 2 or 3% of occupancy, that's going to put you in an overall uh, better place in terms of rep par growth and, and more than likely profitability too. Yeah. I mean, there, there's so many factors at play here. And I just want to go back to what you said, Jamie, about like the, the supply hopefully starting to taper off a little bit. And I, I think you spoke to it it's so well that over the last couple of years, we saw record low interest rates. So it was super inexpensive to buy properties. We hadn't yet seen this this massive run up in home prices yet. So you had relatively stable home pricing with super low interest rates, which created this really kind of perfect storm for people to enter into the short-term rental space. But I also think what happened is 
there are a lot of people who saw this Airbnb gold rush and jumped in not with the intentions of becoming professional host, but with the intentions of just trying to make a quick buck. And Rob, I think you and I are in a unique situation where we probably talk to maybe more short-term rental hosts than almost anybody else on the planet. Have you have you seen maybe some folks that, that jumped in not treating this like a business, but more so like a like a hobby? Um, it depends. It depends on kind of which audience we're talking about. But I mean, it's hard, right? Because I genuinely come I, I come at an angle from like it's possible for anybody. Real estate isn't hard, it's hard work, right? And so on my channel I try to detail that hey, it, the money can be good if you put a lot of time and a lot of effort into it and you like you put good design into it, quality furniture, good photos, but I do talk about some of the crazy stories that happen too, right? And the way I talk about it is usually a little bit funnier, right? I talk about bears breaking into my cabin or how the cops went on a manhunt in the forest by my house like a couple months ago. You know, I talk about that stuff and I feel like people think that I'm kidding or whatever. And then when that kind of stuff happens to them, they just aren't ready for it because they aren't professional level hosts. So I'd say it's a, it's a pretty good spectrum, but I definitely try not to... Um, cater too much to people that are just trying to like, yeah, I want to make an extra 500 bucks. Like, I want people who get into Airbnb to take it as a serious investment that will take time. And if you put that time into it and you water that seed, it will grow into like a very beautiful portfolio that will sustain your retirement one day. What about you? Yeah, I mean, same exact thing, man. Like, I, I feel like I have heard a lot of stories from you know, I wouldn't even call them hosts. I would just call them investors who bought a short-term rental because I think it's two totally different types of people. But I've heard a lot of stories from folks saying, man, I bought this property and it wasn't what I thought it was going to be. And it's way more work and it's this and it's that. And I think what separates me and you, Rob, is that we we really do focus on building out like this hospitality business and making sure that we're giving guests the, the design, the amenities, the experience. And we really are taking good care of our guests when they get into our property. So Jamie, I, and the reason I bring this up is because I, I and this is my thought, and I'm, I'm just curious to see if you if you think the same and if there is any data to support this, but I think that a lot of people who have entered in over the last two years, that as they start to realize that the short-term rental thing isn't for them, that those units are going to start shifting to other hosts that are more professional that are doing this for like a living. Is there anything in your data to support that? Or, or am I just like a, a crazy guy with a with a dream? Hey man, yeah, that, that's a conspiracy right there. <laughs> yeah. Yes, there's data to support it. And maybe a finer point on one of the things we're seeing though is, and one of the biggest risks to the industry going forward right now is new regulation. Um, and... When you look at the type of investor that's looking to invest long-term in a market, long-term in their properties, really invest in those um, and really choosing their markets carefully, uh, as opposed to hosts looking to make a quick buck, uh, not uh, really investigating the regulations in the markets they're going into, uh, that can create a lot of pushback in those areas. Uh, for those, uh, for maybe larger property managers or for uh, hosts that have been there a long term or even hosts that are just making large investments, uh, being uh, involved in the community and, and uh, that can cause some pushback. So and we're uh, all about and finding hosts that and are wanting to make long term investments, want to understand the regulations of the areas that they're investing in uh, and doing everything we can to, to support that. Uh, on the individual investor, uh, maybe short-term host, we are seeing some churn, um, 
right now from uh, investors in the U.S., so people coming out of the market. Um, all the while, we are seeing a, a big uptick in professional managers. Uh, so the largest number of hosts or percent increases in hosts is coming from those hosts with more than 20 units. So those either uh, having uh, uh, their own portfolios and expanding them, or for those larger property managers that are bringing on more individual owners into their portfolios. Uh, and we're seeing and really significant growth uh, from some of those uh, larger operators, especially in the U.S. That makes sense. I, I mean, that's kind of where I'm shifting one of my business plans is I'm becoming... I, I've just launched a property management company, really, Tony, for what you're talking about, where there's a lot of people that get into this and they realize maybe it is a lot harder than they thought it was. And so I think there will be a lot of people shifting their portfolios to property management companies for that specific reason, Jamie. So I wanted to back up a little bit because we sort of talked about how some of the tourism markets were faring. But I wanted to see, is there any data on what the best tourism markets are? Like, Are there any specific markets that are faring better than others that people can be watching out for? Yeah. Um, so we do a best places to invest report every year. Uh, we track quite a few different markets um, or we track every market around around the world. Um, specifically in the U.S., uh, there's some different trends sort of driving um, investment opportunities in some of the tourism markets. Uh, some of the ones that are sort of highlighting to me are ones where revenue gains and have really outpaced, pri- uh, outpaced the housing price gains. Uh, and uh, the sort of COVID trends, so the expanded seasonality in these markets. So where uh, historically they had been maybe only a market that had a peak season of two or three months, and that's expanded to five or six months. So it's really expanded the uh, months where you can and really drive profits. And markets like that, it's like Panama City. It's the sort of northern Michigan coast um, on the Great Lakes, um, uh, the uh, coast in, in Maine, sort of uh, near Acadia National Park. Uh, even a market like Virginia Beach, uh, where it still has some sort of urban drive uh, from being near the um, uh, D.C. area. Uh, those have seen uh, a uh, decent uh, opportunity. And then maybe some surprise ones out there are markets where uh, revenue has growth has been really strong in the past year. Uh, and housing prices are now coming down. Uh, so these have been some of the sort of peak of move to markets during the pandemic uh, and uh, uh, seen a really strong run up in housing prices. Uh, and recently we've seen uh, short term rental demand um, uh, continue to grow and where occupancy has seen really strong. And those are markets like Aspen, Vail, Park City, uh, Telluride, Sawtooth Mountain, Steamboat. Um, Still uh, tough to get into on a on sort of a yield basis, uh, but in long term, I think they're they're very strong demand markets with with strong revenue opportunity. Yeah. What about? Uh, I mean, I think that the big the sweetheart of the short term rental markets is like the Smoky Mountains, right? Like Gatlinburg is one that's been talked about on this podcast many, 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 many times, which uh, I think had something to do with the astronomical pricing increases in that market. 
How do you, is there any data to support markets like that? Because I think there are two really breakout national parks that have really just, they, they soared. And now I'm not really sure how to take some of the movement on like Joshua Tree and the Smoky Mountains. Do you know any, any of that data off the top of your head on some of these like national park type of markets? Yeah, those are uh, <laughs> uh, types of markets that I'd sort of uh, group in where supply growth has been really strong. Uh, yes, demand is up. Um, we haven't seen demand go down in Joshua Tree. We haven't seen demand go down in the in Gatlinburg, Pigeon Forge area. Uh, but occupancy is down 10, 15% year over year. Uh, uh, keep in mind that in Gatlinburg, occupancy is still 30% higher than 2019. So it's all based on, I'm, <laughs> on where you're benchmarking from. So it, I'm, I think long-term, it's still a great market, uh, but that's w- one of those areas. And you can put in uh, North Georgia Mountains, the Poconos, the Berkshires, Lower Hudson Valley, uh, Bo- Broken Bow, all markets that have been really popular to invest in and are seeing really significant supply growth, but where the revenues, uh, RevPars, occupancies have been down pretty significantly in the past year. Yeah, Jamie, I think it's it's super interesting. Like, obviously, Rob and I both invest in, in Joshua Tree and in Tennessee, so I think we're we're seeing some of the same things. But you mentioned earlier the the kind of role that regulations play, and that's almost the reason why I'm starting to target markets that have slightly stricter regulations because it almost puts a cap on supply and. If there's a cap on supply, but demand continues to increase, now the hosts that are in that market, they're in a really good position. So for example, we have three properties in the city of 29 Palms, which is the city adjacent to Joshua Tree. And 29 Palms has a hard cap on the number of listings that they are going to allow at any point in time. And our three properties made it in under that hard cap. So now supply is fixed at I think 500 listings, but as demand continues to go up, we're in a really good position. So I I wonder, Jamie, do you see maybe better returns in markets that are more heavily regulated because there is that, that cap on supply? Yeah. And, and a lot of those ski markets are seeing the same thing. Um, supply growth in those markets has been essentially flat. Uh, It's really hard to add new supply, uh, in those cities because of the regulations that are in place. Uh, typically they grandfather in existing properties, so if you're going out um, and making investment and in, in regulation is the number one thing I advise people to look at um, outside of the sort of investment returns and finding areas that maybe uh, a regulation isn't in place now, but it's, it's likely to be uh, uh, coming in soon uh, where you can get in before that uh, is in place. Or at least in, in the markets you're you're in, being involved in in what regulations coming and making sure that it is a fair regulation that 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 puts in place that's not going to put you out of business because there are markets that come in and and you got lucky that you got grandfathered in, but other markets have sort of outlawed it completely um, and it and it can uh, ruin an investment. We're always looking for ways to improve, searching for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for better is by matching with quality candidates. 
If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BiggerPockets. Just go to Indeed.com slash BiggerPockets right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Indeed.com slash BiggerPockets. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Every lender loves to talk about how easy it is to get a mortgage. Then when it's time to fund your next deal, they ask for your full financials, your blood type, your mother's famous spaghetti recipe, and a map to the fountain of youth. Sound familiar? You got all that handy, right? Why not switch to a lender who actually makes qualifying for a loan easy? A lender like Host Financial. Host Financial takes the tedious tax returns, endless W-2s, and time-consuming financial requests out of the picture. Their light doc and common sense underwriting guidelines mean frictionless transactions every time. You'll even be able to use the actual or projected income of the short-term or long-term rental you're looking to purchase or pull equity out of. That's what lending built for investors looks like. So take the next step and grow your portfolio faster. Visit hostfinancial.com to request a quote in as fast as 60 seconds, which is faster than this ad. If not, it's pretty close. That's host, H-O-S-T, financial.com. Again, that's host, H-O-S-T, financial.com. Passive income without the property headache? It's possible. There's a way to invest passively in real estate and get monthly income without any tenants, maintenance, or property management. The wealthy have been doing this for years, and if you're an accredited or high net worth investor, you too can collect cash flow without the headaches that come from owning rentals. How? By investing in a private real estate fund with PPR Capital Management. PPR's co-founder, Dave Van Horn, wrote the book on real estate note investing for BP. But he's not just investing in notes. Dave and his team also have an extensive background in commercial real estate. And with PPR Capital Management, they're strategically investing in both notes and commercial real estate nationwide. With over half a billion dollars in assets under management, PPR has provided individuals with a steady source of truly passive income since 2007 without ever missing a payment. Check them out at investwithppr.com. Again, if you're looking to get monthly passive income from an experienced team with a strong track record, go to investwithppr.com today. Yeah, I, I will say, I mean, Joshua Tree I, is the same thing, Tony. I mean, I, they, they just started enforcing, not enforcing, but putting into play a lot more uh, a lot more regulations and sort of like if you had your permit, you're grandfathered in, but I think it's going to be a lot tougher. It's one of those weird things where I saw overall revenue decrease in... Um, in the Smoky Mountains for my cabin. My my chalet is like very old, so it's not really that surprising. There's a lot of new development out there. But it's really funny because yeah, I mean it's not ideal to have like less revenue, but the return on that property was like it was like a ninety percent cash on cash still return. Great, right? Yeah, yeah, it was really good. So it's like, yeah, if I make um like sixty versus like uh seventy eight or something like that. Obviously, I want to make the extra eighteen thousand, but my cash on cash was still like, I pretty the investment is paid back. It doesn't really matter. Same thing with Joshua Tree. Uh, overall, 
the one trend that I've noticed, and I don't, I don't know about you, Tony, but on my end, bookings come in a lot, like a lot more last minute. So before I was like booked 30 to 60, sometimes 90 days out for certain dates. Not something that's like the the case anymore. I'm now getting booked the night before. And so like if you look at my calendar, it always looks empty. But then if you look at the past calendars, you see that they actually always end up filling out. Is that um is that something that's that's like more common, Jamie, or does that market to market? Because I feel like I've heard a lot of people sort of not necessarily complaining, but sort of uh, venting about the fact that oh my you know my bookings have dried up, but you know really what it is is bookings are just coming in last second. Yeah, it it really depends on the market and the season of the market. Uh, so if you're um, in high season and your people are typically getting booked out in what three to four months in advance. Uh, if you go into shoulder seasons like uh, Smoky Mountains now. Um, it's typically people are making uh, more last minute reservations, be- mostly because they can, and you don't have to book three months in advance to book the Smokies in the winter. Uh, that said, and different revenue management strategies and using dynamic pricing softwares are going to push you to different strategies to to maximize revenue during different periods and based on what the supply demand dynamics are. And if you're re- and really looking to maximize revenue. A lot of times, uh, uh, waiting for last-minute uh, bookers, so book people booking sort of a week uh, in advance, and you can get a, a significant premium um, on those bookings based on the time of the year. Rob, I want to ask you because my approach is actually the the opposite, where we start to discount our prices as we get closer to an opening in the calendar. Um, and it's just for me because I, I I want to be able to sleep at night knowing that we're we're going to drop the price to hopefully find the right person. But Jamie, what you're saying is that maybe the opposite should be true, where you you almost jack up prices for those last minute stays because those are the travelers that are um, maybe most in need of your stay. Um, yeah, ro- yeah. Go ahead, go ahead, Jamie. <laughs> I, I'm curious. Yeah, it it really depends on and how many listings are still available. Uh, so we we help people track that in our platform. Uh, and then what is sort of booking activity? If you've got like really great reviews, uh, uh, really highly rated, like um, you you might be able to do that. If you're maybe on the lesser side, um, that's probably not something you could do. So it really depends on, on the type of property. And then what are the sort of uh, total number of available listings? How many you expect to get booked? Um, and if if you know last minute, typically... And in your comp set, like, or in your market, 10 or 15 properties are going to get booked last minute and there's only five left, like you should push that rate because you're going to get booked. Um, but I mean, it really depends on the on the time in the market. Yeah, I'm with you, Tony. I discount. Uh, that's, that's a scary thought. I don't know. I guess it sort of thinks... I discount last minute. I just want to fill it if I can. But... Yeah, I guess it takes a little bit of faith <laughs> to, to drive up those, those prices. <laughs> yeah, you, um, yeah. I, I think I've, I've played around with that in some of the holiday seasons, right? Like if we have a last minute opening for like Thanksgiving or Christmas, then I'm, I'll typically try to kind of bump those prices up. But um, yeah, I, I get a little nervous. So I don't know. Maybe, maybe I got to spend some more time digging into the data, Jamie. Hey, I'll, I'll do it if you do it. 
<laughs> if we can get everybody to do it, then it works, right? But if I'm oh like, my god, <laughs> we've done uh, I, it. I think that's called. I think that's called price collusion. <laughs> yeah, okay. All right. Never mind. Never. We didn't. We didn't yeah. say that. Yeah. yeah. So Jamie, we, we talked a lot about obviously Rob and I are in, in mostly true vacation destinations, but what what about the the metro markets like the the large urban uh cities you know like rob lives near uh houston i live near uh los angeles like these are big cities what what has the revival been like in those major metros yeah uh revival has been slow and there were the markets that were hit most by, by the pandemic uh people were really avoiding cities and it really held that the less dense you were uh the quicker your demand came back uh but we really are now seeing the revival of demand to the cities. Uh, and in, in reality, 2022 would have been a much better year, uh, except for the strength of the dollar. So if you've been paying attention um, uh, to that, and it, it sort of raised the cost for foreign travelers coming to the U.S. by about 20%. Um, it made it much cheaper to go to Europe. Uh, so a general trend this past summer was go to Europe for and how great a value it is. Uh, but that really kept people back. And why I mention that is because in a lot of, lot of these large cities, prior to the pandemic, uh, international demand was as much as 50% of, the, of overall stays. So in cities like New York, San Francisco, Oahu, Miami, LA, Boston, uh, yeah, 30 to 50% of guests we're coming from overseas. Uh, that now is is only about 20%, maybe 15%. Uh, so we still have a long way to go. In 2023, we expect there to be a, a big increase in, in international demand coming back. Uh, so that, and especially if China opens back up to travel. So you think in past three years, Chinese travelers have been sort of cooped up, not allowed to travel outside of their city, much less inter internationally. Uh, and back in 2019, China was the number two country for international visitors coming to the U.S. Uh, so, uh, uh, and could see really an unleashing of those Chinese travelers coming back to the States. Yes. Yeah, that's anecdotal for me as well. Like 2018, 2019, that the, the China was a big, the by far the biggest international audience that was staying at my at my different Airbnbs. One of the things that I was also, I have a couple of, of questions, and then and then we'll move. I'll move us along here, but and I'm, I feel like I'm just throwing like you know you're you're the king of darts here. I feel like I'm just throwing things at you. I'm like I hope he knows the answer to this because I'm genuinely curious. So one one thing that I was wondering about is you know during the pandemic. Uh, a lot of people were unable to to go international, right? And so once some of that dust settled and people could travel internationally again, people started going. But now we're heading into a recession. And so my my logic or my thought here is, well, flying internationally is very expensive. So it makes me wonder if in the next 12 months, there will be a lot less international travel and a lot more domestic travel within the United States. Is there any kind of data on that front? Yeah, it's... And some. So you think about travelers that are traveling overseas, though, it's generally uh, higher end travelers. So people staying in, in more luxury properties. Uh, and those are actually the ones that have performed the best over the past three uh, three years. Uh, so people that would have traditionally traveled overseas um, stayed domestically. And we saw luxury properties 
and overall they used to have the lowest occupancy. They actually had the highest occupancy during the pandemic or highest growth in occupancy during the pandemic. Uh, they are now and in 2022 where we saw some weakness. Uh, so you think some of those mountain destinations uh, where people uh, were staying domestic all of a sudden started going overseas again. Um, and we saw luxury rates in the Colorado mountains and drop anywhere from 15 to 20%. And they decided they want to maintain their occupancy, so they started cutting rate. Um, and that, in a in a lot of markets that were sort of appealed to luxury travelers, uh, that's been an area of weakness over the past uh, six to eight months. You know, Rob makes me think of a good question, Jamie, about the recession and and kind of how does the travel hospitality industry typically fare? So Airbnb started during the last recession, so there, there's probably not a whole heck of a lot of data around Airbnb specifically, but just like anecdotally, do you have any sense of how maybe the larger hospitality industry fared during 2008? Or maybe even if there are previous recessions, how they typically did? Because I think there's this massive fear for a lot of people moving into this space when they hear the word recession, that their properties are going to sit empty for months on end. And I just wonder if there's any data to maybe, you know, soften that fear a little bit. Yeah. So I'm in my prior life, I was an economist for the hotel industry. So looking at sort of decades of data, we actually had data going back to the 1930s on, on hotel performance. Um, so I've done actually a lot of work in looking at prior recessions and its impact on, on our industry. Uh, and what I can say is the past re three recessions are not representative of what we, what we expect to happen during this recession. So you think back, we had COVID, we had the great um, financial crisis, we had 9-11. So all recessions that impacted the hospitality industry, uh, way more so than the, than the rest of the economy. Uh, and this upcoming recession, if we do go into one, we expect it to be much more of a goods recession than a travel and hospitality recession. Um, we actually have forecasts from, from Oxford Economics. They actually don't expect, even in their downside scenario, um, where they have GDP going down 2.5%, uh, leisure and hospitality uh, demand to go down at all. Um, and that really aligns with our forecast uh, where we do have a recession baked into our forecast for next year. Uh, and we still have demand going up five and a half percent. Our friends at STR in the hotel industry, um, uh, their forecast for hotel demand is, is up three percent uh, with the recession baked in. So so overall, even if we do go into a recession, we expect just the tailwinds and people are prioritizing travel over other forms of spending right now. Uh, the surveys that we've seen is that they're going to continue to do that. And that's our expectations uh, for the year ahead. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I, this is like really, th Tony, this gets into the people who are like sort of dabbling in Airbnb, right? I don't think 2023... I think it's the best opportunity really to get into Airbnb in the last two years because we're going to see a lot of price cuts. I don't think it's a good opportunity for people that are just wanting to dabble because this is going to be a hard year for a lot of people to stomach if, they, if they're if they just reading the headlines and like things are slow, right? But for me, I've been doing this for five years. I'm excited for price cuts and I'm excited to jump in at a pretty decent rate. You know what I mean? So it's like 2023 for me, I'm genuinely excited to get some to actually get offers accepted for like the first time in like a year and a half, right? So, uh, Jamie, you sort of talked about your forecasts and you've all honestly put out an impressive amount of 
answers to my data questions here. So can you tell us a little bit about where you even get your data? Where does, how does AirDNA compile so much data? Like what are the sources of it? Um, you know, like how, how is it, uh, I don't know, I guess I already asked, how does it compile? That, that's what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I'm, we're gl- a global company, so we're tracking every listing on Airbnb, uh, Verbo and booking.com. Uh, and we look at every listing every day, every in ca- the movements in the calendar. Uh, so which listings are available on a given night? We see when they go unavailable. We then model whether that was a booked or blocked night. We take the last rate that it, that night was available um, as the revenue, and then an- amortize the cleaning fee. So spread that over over the length of the reservation. Uh, and we've been doing that as a company since 2014. Uh, so we have a really long time series of data um, so we can understand sort of trends over time, how markets have moved over time. Um, and sort of our goal as a company is to collect data on 95% of the short-term rentals out there in the world and have 95% accuracy. So we're not going to get to the long tail of every single sort of niche booking site Um um, we're not going to get perfect accuracy. We can't do that with how we collect our data. Uh, uh, but we're going to get really close. And that's like our number one focus at the, at our company is, is accuracy of the data. Um, and how we sort of augment that is we get, um, data from individual hosts that connect their properties through our site at AirDNA. Uh, so if you're a host, you can connect your iCal, uh, we're going to get your actual data. We're going to allow you to benchmark your property versus competitors. Understand, I'm, am I getting, uh, is it just me that's not getting bookings? And how are my competitors, how are the properties around me uh, getting booked out? Uh, and then we also get partner data. So some of the large channel managers, uh, uh, vacation rental management companies uh, give us their data directly. And we're able to augment uh, the scrape data with with that data as well. Yeah, Jamie, I'm, I'm so happy that companies like AirDNA exist to, to pull that massive amount of data because in order to make the right decisions as a host, you need the right inputs. And the right inputs is, is everything you talked about. And I had no idea it was such a complex process <laughs> to track so many <laughs> millions of listings across the globe. So I'm, I'm glad you guys are doing that. So I, I want to keep the conversation moving, Jamie. And I, I want to talk a little bit about how investors can kind of start setting themselves up to remain competitive, um, given all the, the forecasts and everything we talked about so far. So with, with this increase in supply, what what are you seeing or what advice would you, ha- would you have for someone that says, okay, how can I how can I be competitive? How can I protect my return? How can I make sure that my listing is one of those listings that, that does well? Uh, a couple of different things. Uh, there's different aspects of the industry that are growing faster than others. So unique stays is one where and I'm very bullish on. I, I think you guys might be as well. Yeah, um, sure. The other is the type of amenities. So if you look at a market like Joshua Tree, and overall occupancy is going down. But if you look at occupancy for properties that have pools, it's actually going up. Um, so being focused on what people are going to your market for, what amenities do they want when they're there, and how can you make your listing stand out from the others? Uh, and then the third thing is is sort of status in, in reviews. So a property or a host that has super host status is getting a 24% higher occupancy than a host without superhost status. Wow. And in really? a period, yeah. <laughs> Dang, that's uh, crazy. 
Last year, they had 21% sort of higher RevPAR controlling for everything. So um, there is a massive increase um, in performance and sort of propensity for people to book uh, for higher reviews, for superhost status, and sort of giving people and sort of the comfort in booking. Um, we have so many people trying Airbnb for the first time. Uh, so last year, uh, of all the bookings that happened on Airbnb in the U.S., 40% were first-time bookers. So if you're trying a platform, trying a product for a first time, and are you going to book with someone that's a super host or not? Like, <laughs> and yeah, it's uh, it, it really makes a difference. Dang that. That is honestly astounding. Um, I have actually been. I remember I was at a, <laughs> I mean, at an Airbnb party. I guess it was a lot of hosts, and they were all standing around. And we do cool things. Uh, and so we were all standing around, and I remember being like, "Yeah, so uh, how long have you all been super hosts, or you know, how many times have you been super hosts?" Because it's just like a little badge that they tell you, like Tony Robinson has been super host x amount of times, and then they were like, "Oh, four, uh, seven. They're like, what about you? And I was like, oh, I think I'm on like uh, 16 now. And then like the, everybody's jaw dropped. They're like, what? You've been a super host 16 times? And it's something that I've been like very, uh, I don't know, like very proud of for no reason. But now I guess I have a, a good reason to be proud of it because I've gotten 24% more bookings from it. So that's pretty crazy. Also keep in mind that um, only like 15% of hosts are super hosts. So really, it is a a small crowd. Um, And so if you you're thinking about and even maybe plays into the Airbnb bus thing of and people that are not seeing the bookings that they expect and and if they're not getting reviews, if they're not sort of meeting guest satisfaction and that could be a big piece of it as well. Dang. Now. Uh, I know there's a. Do you have a fun fact here about uh, superhost names? Like, what what is the most common superhost name? This is something that we kind of chatted off off air about the other day. We chatted off uh, off air, and then I never actually looked it up. <laughs> oh, <so>. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> okay. Um, I I know. Now that you mentioned that, I know, I remember I did look it up at some point. Um, what, okay. what is it? Do you have it? Yeah, Jamie, well, I mean, there, there's so many good things we've talked about. And, and I love the idea of hosts having something tangible to focus on to help their listings do better. Um, so you talked about pools and Joshua Tree, which I'm super glad you mentioned because I actually just got my first pool property under contract right now. So I'm, I'm excited for that rehab project. But what what other amenities are you seeing kind of across these different markets that maybe hosts should focus on including in their properties? Yeah. So, and one I get asked out on the press all the time, uh, it's a super popular one right now is, is pickleball courts. Uh, the other is, is themed units. Uh, so running with a theme that's sort of popular in your market. Um, Orlando has a lot of them around the, the parks, uh, but really any city and has history and you could create a theme that, that goes along with it. Um, some ones that I'm really focused on right now align with the Airbnb categories. Is there sort of new ways to get guests booking your properties? Uh, and you run through those and it's, and some is and simple stuff like play. Do you have games? Do you have a, uh, a game room? Um, uh, do you have a creative space? Do you have a chef kitchen, a piano? So there's just new ways that Airbnb is pushing for people to search uh, that 
And if you could sort of align into one of those categories, you could see a significant uptick in bookings there. I just want to say, David, again, if you're listening to this, listen to Jamie. He said pickleball courts. We have a, a tattered <laughs> pickleball court at our Scottsdale mansion, and it's like going to cost $25,000 to get up and running. But I was like, we should do it. He's like, let's let's make some money first. I was like, fine. But I was like really ready because I want a pickleball court. Sorry, Tony, what are you going to say? Uh, have you seen our, our newest game room in Joshua Tree? We uh we just renovated one of the garages into this really cool Mario themed uh game room. So we have like a, a Mario like picture like mural that we painted along the wall. All these really could these really cool wood decals that look like the little tubes that Mario jumps in and out of. We have the Nintendo Switch, like the the basketball hoop, the air hockey table, and we actually pulled that inspiration, Jamie, from Orlando because we saw Orlando does like that's one of the best markets to go at. Uh, to look for inspiration on how people are getting really creative with themes. And we said, man, there's no really cool themes in Joshua Tree like that at all. So well, we I literally mean, just took Conejo, that high. But that, that's fine. I don't know, you know, but like, dude, like the, the Orlando ones are like super over the top. So, um, it's our first kind of foray with a, with a super, super theme like that. Um, so I'm, I'm curious to see how it does in that market as well. I thought, see, I thought you were going to super Mario because it's Joshua tree and super Mario gets powered up by mushrooms and stars. <laughs> <laughs> I, that, that that's the connection there that's the we're going for and in in, in some areas I mean, amenities can be table stakes like you you talk about a market like gatlinburg um it's like over 70 percent of properties up there have a hot tub um and you look at the adrs from hot tubs you're going to get 40 dollars a night on extra uh 70 percent increase in rate so uh if you are making investment and you got to know and what do people just expect when they're booking that market? And then and my favorite way to sort of figure out some of the ways to maybe go over the top or figure out and what could you replicate that's doing well in other markets. Um, on our site, we have top properties. So which markets are earning the most revenue in every market? And that for me, it's like what and I just go through that, run through different cities and find that like, oh, this is killing it in this market. I'm going to copy it in this other market. Yeah. You mentioned the, uh, you know, looking at what's important to your city. Gatlinburg is effectively synonymous with the word hot tub. It's like very, very, very important. Um, it's annoyingly important because I hate hot tubs and the maintenance that comes along with them. But my property, one of my properties it's like a five bedroom, four bath. It's kind of out there. You know, it's a, it's a bit of a d destination, maybe like 30 minutes outside of Pigeon Forge. It grossed about $60,000 this year. Uh, the mortgage on it was like, I don't know, 2200 bucks. I think it'll end up being like a a 25% cash on cash return. I was actually expecting it to break even. I bought that house, not even for Airbnb. It's actually nice that it made some money, but I know like I, I've been wanting to build this epic hot tub that basically cantilevers off the cliff and you can look at mountains. And it's been really hard for me to find a, cause that's like requires intense engineering and find, finding a contractor that can do cliff decks and all that kind of stuff. But I've just been like over the past year trying to find somebody to do that job. Because I know that if I do that, it will it will basically double my uh, my overall revenue probably for for the vision that I'm trying to execute. But one of the things I was going to ask you was, you said it's important to look at what amenities are important to your market. Is there any way someone can research that, or is it really just a matter of going through your Airbnb competition and just going through listings and seeing which ones are the most booked, and maybe trying to like cross-examine all the different listings out there? Yeah, and for the main amenities, it's actually something we put on our website at airdna.co, and it's 
Um, I think it's not even behind the paywall. So you can go and see for all those top amenities, what percent uh, by city in any city in the world uh, of properties have uh, that amenity or not. So you can get a sense of, and for ones like pool, hot, hot tub, uh, Wi-Fi, uh, TV, uh, cable, things like that, um, see what percent uh, of properties have those uh, amenities. I mean, even if it is behind the paywall, you can use promo code RAWBUILT for... No, I'm just kidding. Um, okay, well, awesome, <laughs> man. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, I appreciate that. Tony, is there any, anything else you want you wanted to ask before we let Jamie go here? I mean, I feel like I have at least 18 more questions, but... Yeah, man, I, I feel like we could keep talking forever. We definitely got to bring you back on, Jamie. Maybe we can make this like a, a regular theme because Rob and I selfishly get so much value from having these conversations. But if there's anything I, I want the listeners to take away from this episode, and, and Jamie did such a, a masterful job of explaining this is that we can make decisions based on emotion and headlines and you know what pundits are, are spouting, or we can make our decisions based on the data and what the facts are saying and use that to inform our decision. So I don't think any of the questions from me, Jim, I just want to thank you for for hopefully, you know, doing away with some of the fears that people have had around the short-term rental industry, because this Airbnb bust idea, I think is like permeated so deep in so many of these communities. But what you're sharing is, is definitely, I think, fought that in a good way. Yeah, man. Thank you so much. Uh, before we let you go, is there, uh, where can people find out more about you or more about AirDNA if they want to they want to reach out or learn more information. Yeah. I'm airdna.co is our website. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter and LinkedIn. Uh, and if you want to uh, hear more about the data, um, we do have our own podcast, the STR Data Lab, where we uh, talk data every week. Uh, so um, happy to uh, have people come in and listen. Okay. And if people want to follow you on Instagram or Twitter, what are your handles? Uh, uh, Jamie Lane on um, uh, Jamie underscore lane on Twitter. Uh, and, uh, I think it's just Jamie lane on Instagram. All right. What about you, Tony? Where can people find out more about you if they want to, they want to connect or see your, your golden knowledge bombs on the internet? <laughs> uh, first and foremost, come listen to the real estate rookie podcast. We drop episodes every Wednesday and Saturday. Um, outside of that on Instagram at Tony J Robinson. And then my, my wife and I run the real estate Robinson's YouTube channel as well. Awesome. Well, you can find me over on YouTube at Rob Built. Uh, if you like this episode, if it made you feel better, if it inspired you to get into the short-term rental game, please, please consider leaving us a five-star review on the Apple Podcast platform or wherever else you download your episodes. Uh, that's it for today's episode of Bigger Pockets. Thank you so much, Jamie. And we'll catch everybody on the next episode of Bigger Pockets. <laughs> and scene. There's a reason small multifamily investing is so popular in the Bigger Pockets community. With just a 3.5% down payment, you can own up to four different units. Think about it. If you house hack and live in one of the units, you still have three different groups of tenants helping you pay down your mortgage every month, four kitchens and bathrooms you could renovate to increase your property value, four different Airbnbs, medium-term rentals, or other rental strategies that you can try in one property, all in just one transaction. Of course, the question is, where do you find a small multifamily property that you can actually afford? Which market and which deals are best for you? Once you close, how do you manage it, optimize it, keep scaling, and living your life without being tied down to four leaky toilets or four fussy tenants? 
All great questions, my friends. All to be answered in the upcoming small multifamily bootcamp with Chris Lopez and Leka Devatha. So if you're serious about growing your portfolio with this highly efficient strategy, head to biggerpockets.com slash four, F-O-U-R. Today, and join us in the small multifamily bootcamp. See you there. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all hosts and participant opinions are their own. Investment in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. BiggerPockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.